think we lost Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, we went through this door. She came right behind us, but Sarah. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Yeah, that's probably bad. <laughs> um, hopefully we find her. Yeah. But should uh, we? Well, let's just pause here. Maybe she'll catch up. Yeah. Hey, that that gives us time to uh, hi and welcome to Blank Bodies, a Vampire the Masquerade V Five Tabletop and Horror Podcast. As always, I'm your host Hunter, and today I'm joined by. Uh, this is John, and unfortunately, I can't point at another person. There's a rat over there, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still stuck in these tunnels, guys, and hopefully, we're gonna get out soon. Because honestly, I'm pretty hungry. Yeah. Uh, this, I, I I don't know if it smells less bad or I've just become acclimated to the stink. I think we're nose blind. That's what I think it is. The taste, though, that hasn't gone away. Nope, nope. I can still taste the air. What are we talking about? Well, I did a poll over on our Patreon. We, we often, I when I do bonus episodes, I come up with a bunch of ideas and let the patrons decide. So for our Nosferatu bonus episode, um, I couldn't find a real life person a lot of times i try and find like real life inspiration to talk about um couldn't really find a good one that i felt great about covering for this we kind of talked about it and we went with some more literary uh choices our poll was uh nosferatu hunchback of notre dame and phantom of the opera and we went to poll and nosferatu surprisingly won the nosferatu poll yeah it was shocking honestly yeah. I'll tell you what. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about 1922's Nosferatu. Um, I, excuse me, I thought that it was actually the very first vampire po- movie, but there may have been as many as two. I found We found out post-writing the script. Mm-hmm. We were doing some more research today that there is a Russian film that may be completely lost, as in completely undocumented, and then there's was another adaption of Dracula that has con- been confirmed to have existed, but, but it's is completely lost. gone. Yeah. So it's I, my uh, script here is, it's the very first vampire film that you can still watch. There you go. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But uh, content warning, pretty much general horror and occultism. It's 1922. They couldn't get away with that much. Yeah. I don't really remember even there being like a lot of actual action. Yeah, action or even blood. I don't think there is any blood. Yeah, weird in a vampire movie. Yeah. Nosferatu is a very clean eater. That's true. Good job, Warlock. Yeah, and so uh, my sources for this episode are mainly Nosferatu, 1922, Nosferatu the Vampire, 1979, and Forty and Times Magazine. Oh, all right. Which cool magazine it's out of print but a lot of it's on archive.org now wink wink uh for free <laughs> neat i don't think i've seen the 1979 version it's good i'd really like to we'll get into it i have a whole section on all the different versions nice but first we gotta get the nerd stuff out of the way let's get it so what is the word nosferatu uh, we don't actually know the root origins of the word uh, the first major use was in bram stoker's dracula Although he cited a previous journalist who had put it in an article. Huh. And I believe people found like one other usage before that. But uh, there's evidence that in his notes that Stoker thought it was the Romanian word for meaning not dead. So he intended it as being undead. So when he wrote Dracula, he called him a Nosferatu. And it was his way of saying that Dracula was undead. Yeah. That's what he meant by it. Um, however, the word has never been found to exist in Romanian before the novel was released. 
So there's at least no printed use of the word Nosferatu before Dracula came out in Romanian or anywhere else. Weird. Well, not anywhere else, but yeah. Huh. So he cited it very incorrectly. Yeah. Um, this is a massive rabbit hole with a lot of proposed answers. It's definitely worth reading into if language is your thing. I decided to not go super deep into it. Um, my personal one that I really liked was the that some people believe it's a bastardization of the Greek word nosphorus, uh, which means plague carrier, which is definitely in theme. Oh, cool, yeah, I like that because yeah, where he where he goes, things die. Yeah, and uh, we're speaking of it first being in Bram Stoker. Uh, we're gonna go over a quick summary of Nosferatu. I will say, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's there's many versions. Uh, we'll get into versions later, but the best version is the one you can watch readily. There's a soundtrackless version that is completely um, public domain. You can watch it. Uh, there's like eight different versions on YouTube. You can watch the black and white one with no soundtrack free. It's a really quick watch, so maybe go watch that. But if not, we are going to get into some spoilers, kind of. So, I mean, if you know the story of Dracula, you kind of know the story of Nosferatu. It is an adaptation, so yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, but there's some interesting things about it. First of all, all the characters were renamed. Mm-hmm. Um, so Count Dracula is now Count Orlock or Graf Orlock. Um, Harker was changed to Hooter. Uh, Mina is changed to Ellen. There is a character named Professor Bulwer. Some people say that that was, is basically Van Helsing. Some people say they're completely unrelated. Hmm. But though I've used that in my notes when describing it. So right. okay, yeah. But what did you say? I don't remember Orlock having a, a first name. Did you? It's only in some of the credits. Okay, and what, what did you say it was? Graf. Graf. Yeah. G R A F. Yeah, like that grindcore band. That's yeah. where they got their name. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, this was done not only for copyright reasons, because uh, Stoker uh, State still had a copyright for Dracula when this movie was made. Um, But some believe it was done to make the characters more relatable to its German audience. This is a German film. Mm -hmm. Um, The film sees Harker traveling to Transylvania to complete a real estate uh, sale to Count Orlock. Upon arriving in Transylvania, the locals are terrified of even the mention of Count Orlok's name. You have the scene in the tavern, like mm-hmm. most vampire movies, where it's like, oh, I'm going to go see him. Don't, no. Don't go there. Or everyone just won't talk to that person anymore. Kind of that kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, this is the one of the first film times you see that scene. So, cool. um, After being taken to the castle and having a strange meal with the Count, he finds bite marks on his neck. And Hooter is terrified. He took a book from the inn, which he begins to read, that speaks of vampires. Back home, Ellen sleepwalks to their balcony, where she screams Hooter's name. Ellen is Hooter's wife. The next evening, Hooter discovers Orlok's coffin and hides away, seeing Orlok pack multiple coffins onto a carriage, ready to move to his new home in Germany that he had just been sold that real estate deal i like that scene a lot um at least in the versions that i've watched um he looks almost like insect like when he's moving because it's like the the uh crank of the wheel i i feel like i remember them like i remember that they purposefully changed the rotation speed yeah they had right, do we get into that later yeah or? there's oh, okay. i talk about special effects in here but they definitely there are scenes where he moves like 
unnaturally quickly mm-hmm. and it, that's how they did that that's one of those Fuck scenes yeah. where he's stacking the coffins and then he climbs up in top and hides away in one yeah those were also like much lighter than they looked if i remember correctly well we'll get into it later probably yeah um so once he he is aboard a ship uh to head to germany the sailors discover that his coffins are filled with rats um orlock proceeds Spooky. yeah he proceeds to feed on and take over the ship by the time it reaches land, everyone on the ship is dead, and Orlac escapes with his coffin into the city in his new home. So very already, we talked about in our previous episodes, very much that um, theme of plague, disease, the outsider, mm-hmm. bringing death and destruction with him. Yeah. Uh, which, as cool, uncool as that is. It's a very cool thing in a monster movie. It's a very not cool thing outside of a monster movie yeah that's a good way to put it hooter escapes can i just i'm sorry i have to stop i love that his name is hooter yeah i don't know the exact pronunciation because it's a silent film yeah so i'm just that's how it's spelled i assume it's hooter of some sort. i just love hooter i'm part german and i don't know that name so that's fair that one that that's a new one for me hey if you know how to say hooter better then let us know yeah uh, at somewhere (laughs) wherever you want to reach out uh, but yeah, he he also makes his escape back to Germany as well. Um, rumors of a plague spread as people turn up dead in Orlock's wake. Uh, many blame the rats found on the ship along the bodies. And there's a lot of scenes in the movie that are just kind of all of this happening. Uh, you see people like drawing crosses on doors, mm-hmm. um, people carrying coffins through the city. Very spooky and atmospheric. I'm remembering a scene, there's like... Uh, a long shot of a, a street and there's just like multiple groups of people carrying coffins and like a line going down the street. Am I yeah. remembering that correctly? Yes. That's a really cool shot. Yeah. The old German town just looks like almost twisted and crazy too. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Um, anyway, uh, after he returns, Ellen is able to read the same book that Hooter discovered um, and decides to distract the vampire. Well, Hooter goes to get help from their friend Bulmer. Or Bulwer, sorry. Orlock drinks her blood, but is distracted long enough to be caught in the light, killing him. Ah, damn. Uh, Ellen lives long enough to brace Hooter one last time as the sun rises. Orlock's castle crumbles, his reign of terror finally over. Beautiful. Beautiful story. Very quick summary. Um, Although the movie does take a lot out from Dracula. Um, I didn't mark all the differences, because I know we've talked about doing a Dracula episode but we haven't yet, so we don't really have a setup for what would be different. Maybe we can talk about that more if we do a Dracula episode. For sure. Because eventually I want to read the book. Book ones are harder to do than movie ones because movies are like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. A book is a lot longer than an hour and a half. Especially when it's an old book. Yeah. For and the, sure. the only version I have of Dracula is like a college annotated version, which is really handy when you're reading it. But, but really not handy if you're trying to read it quickly? Yes. <laughs> so... There are a lot of different versions of this movie um, and remakes and sequels and homages. So I put together a little list of some a bunch of different versions. Uh, I probably left some out, uh, but I tried to get the bulk of ones that are directly inspired by the original movie Nosferatu. Um, so there's the original version with the original score composed by Hans Erdmann. Um, there are a bunch of YouTube uploads with scores by other people that are claiming 
original score by X. So you really have to put Hans Erdmann mm. in there. Even if it's a re-recording, at least having the original score, I think, is like the optimum. They did for the 100th anniversary, which was last year, do like they did a Blu-ray re-release which is like a 4K scan of the original film projected at the proper speed. And they did like a professional re-recording of the original score, which wow. is cool. Yeah. Um, if you're not picky though, go on YouTube, type Nosferatu. There's like 30 different versions of the movie with different soundtracks. Right. Like there's a version where an industrial band recorded a soundtrack. Oh, there's like good. tons of college projects. I'm sure people did that as like a thing and then put it on YouTube. There, there's tons of different scores online. Yeah. Um, I did not compare a lot of them, honestly. I, I just watched the original and stuck with that. But um, yeah, I, I'm sure some of those on there probably are fucking killer, too. Yeah. Um, there's also, I think the mo other most notable is Nosferatu the Vampire, 1979. Uh, it's the Werner Herzog remake, or homage, as he calls it. Although it's basically a remake. <laughs> I really like this movie. Um, it's very, very slow. It's slow compared to the silent movie version. That's slow. So it's it's great, but um, I also I would say it's kind of somewhere in between Dracula and Nosferatu. Uh, the rights for Dracula had actually run out by 1979, amazingly. Mm. Uh, so he was able to use character names uh, that Nosferatu had changed, okay. either for localization or legal reasons. Right. But uh, so we do have, again, you have Mina, Count Dracula. All those characters are back. Harker instead of the Hooter. Yeah, Lucy. Yeah. Um, let's see. One thing that's notable about the movie is uh, it features real corpses. There's an intro scene that oh. has like a lot of mum mummies. And they're actually real mummified bodies they use for that intro. Uh, Herzog and some film crew snuck into a crypt and uh, bribed the guards with cigarettes and alcohol to let them film inside of it at night. So that intro is all filmed in a real ancient crypt that they just like bribed their that's way into. That's rad. Um, I do have to worry that warn people though. Um, there is some controversy with some off-screen animal cruelty in that oh. version, though, uh, specifically toward rats. Really, um, it's all off-screen, and I'm not going to go into details here. But if that's like an ick for you, or uh, I'm not going to watch that, I don't blame you. Mm -hmm. That's just something I want to warn people about. Um, that one actually has a half sequel called Nosferatu in Venice. Uh, Werner Herzog had nothing to do with it. Uh, but the same actor, Klaus Kinski, returns as Nosferatu in that. So some of the same cast, different director. Okay. I love that at least these first two, um, I think all of the ones that are on this list, I could be wrong, but at least for the first two, both the, rec the directors are kind of just mad lads. Yeah. You kind of have to be. Yeah. Like, first one is like, first horror movies, maybe ever more movie ever shot on set let's go then harzog's like let's break into crypts kids yeah fucking great um, <laughs> the other version i would recommend is shadow of the vampire it's kind mm. of a meta dark comedy it's directed by uh e. elias murhey and it stars john malkovich and willem dafoe so, so good eddie izzard's in it too oh yeah i always forget about that um but it's actually a meta film about the making of the original Nosferatu and the strings things happening on set. It posits, what if that were a real vampire they filmed to make the movie? Hell yes. I like to pretend that this is a documentary. That's a good way to live your life. <laughs> uh, that's how I feel about the original Men in Black. 
I watched that over breakfast this morning. <coughs> Whew. I was that, drinking. You almost just killed me. That's why Will Smith's so weird now. He got neuralized too much. Oh, uh, yeah. You're probably yeah. right. Probably yeah. Right. Um, we also have an upcoming remake. I believe it's coming out this fall, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I want to see it. So it's uh, directed by Robert Eggers, who did The Witch, The Lighthouse, The Northman. And this is really more a story of the ship, isn't it? Uh, yes, I believe it, it's it been... It's either called The Demeter or Nosferatu. I bl- w- believe one is a working title and one is a complete title. I think they've... From what I said, they went back and forth a little bit. Okay. So I we'll see. Either yeah. way, I'm very excited about it. Me too. I mean, he's put out some killer movies. The Witch wasn't my favorite, but I love The White House and The Northman. I love The Lighthouse. I haven't seen The Northman. Um, the Witch, I liked. I would have probably liked it a lot more had I not um, believed any sort of the marketing. Because the marketing put it out to be like a scary, like supernatural horror movie, which it kind of is, but it's it's more of an art film. It's more of a really, really slow burn about one man's arrogance killing off yeah his like relationship with his family. Right. But it's very moody and atmospheric. I loved it the first time I watched. I will say it's not the most interesting on multiple rewatches because mm. the big surprise moments, you're like, that was like the one thing I was waiting for. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it is a good movie. I would definitely recommend watching it at least once. And I'm excited to see what he does with Nosferatu. Um, and finally, I have a honorable mention, uh, Salem Lot, Salem's Lot. It's a Stephen King adaption. Um but the vampire design is almost directly Nosfer- just Nosferatu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a very long movie. I think it's like three fucking hours long. It's a long book. I'm not a big Stephen King fan. He doesn't know how to stop books. So, no. I've never. I've read some of the worst endings of books ever have always been in Stephen King books. Yeah. Like, it'll be a really interesting book, and the end comes, and it'll be like, I, didn't, I don't want to read another book again. <laughs> I've, I read two... Two books where the literal hand of God just like ends the problem. Yeah, and I was like, I don't need to read Stephen King ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, that's my personal. I really hot like take. The Mist. The Mist is great. The Mist is a great movie. I think the end of the movie is one of the best horror movie endings ever. Yeah. So good. I love Carrie. I like some Stephen King. Carrie's good. I I I Cujo's I. fun. I'm hard on Stephen King just because he put out too much shit, and yeah. I. As a high schooler, read a lot of the shit and not the good ones, so I'm just burnt out permanently, it feels like. I have always kind of felt that Stephen King movies are killer. Stephen King books, I can take it or leave. Even some of those movies aren't too great. There's like two versions of his movie about killer semi-trucks. Three, I think. I forgot he had those. Okay, yeah, you're right. (laughs) A good chunk of the movies are good. Yeah. So to really talk about Nosferatu, though, we kind of have to talk about the time and place it came out. Um, now that we've gone over a summary, um, 1922 in Germany, uh, the big art form of the time was German Expressionism or Expressionism more globally. Um, and it's a almost anti-realist movement. Um, in all art forms, creators were seeking to create art that captured feelings moods and ideas over representative reality so like a lot of early film it was just a novelty that you could watch something on film look like, at the train go there's literally yeah there's literally one video was just a train moving mm-hmm. around and people are like oh that's cool or horse running yeah or car crash they'd crash two cars with no one in them and be like wow yeah so this was, I think, the next step in just developing film as an art form. Mm-hmm. And But, I mean, it also 
um, was like big in paint. I think painting is where most people know expressionism from. Um, as a greater art movement, it's largely agreed to have begun in 1901. Uh, some notable artists are like artists are like Francis Bacon, Edward Munch, Dorothea Tanning, uh, The right. Scream. I think that's, that's a very well known opponent. I like that one a lot. Well known painting. Every time I hear Francis Bacon, for some reason, my brain conjures up Kevin Bacon. Six degrees away, at least. <laughs> Can't be more than that. It's true. <laughs> Uh, tag me on Twitter or Discord if you can figure out how to get from Francis Bacon to Kevin Bacon in six steps or less. <laughs> Please. I know it's kind of a, a boomer game, but... It's kind of a fun one. <laughs> um, so German Expressionist cinema um, came a little bit later after 1901. The first German Expressionist film is considered to be The Student of Prague uh, from 1913, and it's actually an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. Oh, cool. Uh, it's also considered the first German art film, while the French Assassination of the Duke of Guy uh, from 1908 takes the number one spot as first art film. Hmm. Yeah. Um, other notable Expressionist films are 1920's The Cabinet of Caligari cool. and The Golem, or How He Came Into the World. I haven't seen that. Um, they're both really good, and they both share um, some production people with Nosferatu. Nice. So um, many of these German filmmakers actually fled Germany for Hollywood and became facets of filmmaking. Uh, this was all going on right after World War One, so there might have been a reason they all... Kicked over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because of that, the genre's stark contrast in mood directly influenced universal's later horror movies horror in general as well as film noir it's kind of got that look you know that very high contrast white and black mm -hmm. or even if there's colors in there they're kind of muted yeah for sure the shadows aren't shadows they're just pits yeah yeah um and special we can talk about the special effects a little bit um many of the special effects in nosferatu were pretty cutting edge for the time um like you mentioned earlier them speeding up or slowing the film to create a dreamy or like supernatural look mm -hmm. atmosphere um early use of some stop motion in nosferatu actually oh yeah there's a scene that he's there's a door opening if i'm remembering correctly like it just like it's closed it's like halfway open then it's open he's standing there all suddenly yeah that's yeah i remember that it's like a stop motion jump scare it's really cool mm -hmm. um very early use of superimposing scenes and characters together yes where they literally like fade from one film to another which was way harder back then because they actually had to do it by hand by different film stock yeah um and I have to say, we'll talk about him more later, but the amazing uh, design and makeup work done by Albin Grau. He uh, not only produced the film, but he did almost all of the design and makeup work himself. Really? Yeah. That's dope. Yeah. So let's actually do talk about who made the film. Uh, Nosferatu was the one and only film made by Prana Films. We'll get into why in a little Prana. bit. Prana. Yeah, we'll talk about that word, too, because it does come up. Okay. Um, so Albin Grau was founder of Prana Films, and he was already experienced in the world of film. Grau had previously worked on The Cabinet of Caligari and many other, other films. They didn't have the names and titles like we do now, but it's believed he did like what was close to storyboarding, planning shots and stuff for that movie and other films. Okay. okay. They, didn't, they didn't really keep track of things like we know. That's one thing 
um, a video we were watching from James Rolfe, the Angry Video Game Nerd. Um, but he did a video about the 100th anniversary of Nosferatu we watched. And one thing he notes is that, like, unless it was a main name character, none of the people in the shots are credited in this film. Yeah. And many of them, we have no idea who they are to this day. So behind the scenes, doubly so. There's not even, like, pictures of them. So It's kind of cool, honestly. It gives a more... Like, mystery. Yeah. It feels realer somehow. Exactly. And then we have M.W. Murnau was the director. And even before Nosferatu, he was experienced. Um, he'd even worked on a now lost adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde called Der Janiskoff with Bella Lugosi Dude. early in his career. <sighs> Bella Lugosi was actually another who fled uh, to America to escape World War II. Interesting. Yeah. God, I bet that movie would be real fun to watch or it'd be real bad. I feel like those are the two... Hap- the, the, the two choices for movies from that era either it's like or it's really not yeah i feel like you kind of have to get in the mood to watch these older films too like we watched it in the server and it was fun but i mean to really experience it it's a turn the lights off in your house and sit and immerse yeah, yourself ha- pour yourself like a thick glass of whiskey or like roll something up and just let yourself be absorbed into it Mm -hmm. because there's no taught dialogue to tie you into it i mean this there if depending on the version there might not even be a score to what you're watching it's all visual pretty much and so you really have to just let yourself go i personally i think that having a score and having a good score is for me like integral to properly enjoying it because if it's just silent completely i for some reason i just can't engage as well so but you know do you do you when you watch it yeah. Um, one other person that I think that's notable to talk about is Max Schreck. Uh, he plays Count Orlock here. Uh, Schreck was a huge actor of stage and screen, um, and he worked in film all the way up to the 60s. Um, though I don't think it was complete, I was able to count at least 30 credits to his name. Wow. So big actor for decades, mm-hmm. even after this. Which Cool. Which is a bummer because I don't think I could name a different movie he's in. I know one was called it's like The Revenge of the Flappers or something like that. He's in. <laughs> oh my, the Flappers, they're coming to get you. Yeah, exactly. Or it's Birds. It's just an off brand Birds. Uh, Proto, the original. No, it's a, yeah, it'd be, I guess it would be Proto. The Flappers. So now that we know who made the film. Uh, now we can get into the uh, really fun, weird shit. Yeah. Ready to talk about all the hidden occult meaning? Fuck yeah, I am. Okay, so this is probably where the episode's really going to slow down, because I thought this was the most fun to research for me anyway. Cool. Um, let's see. So we'll start with prana films. The word prana um, in yogic, Ayurvedian, and theosophical belief systems, prana means breath or life force. Mm-hmm. Um, for those not aware, a root of many New Age beliefs Theosophy was created by Helena Blavatsky. It was basically just her translating bits of pieces of Indian and Asian cultures, religions, and folk beliefs, and then bringing it back kind to... Kind of twisting it to her thing and then yeah. bringing it around. It would later get twisted even more and fucked up a whole bunch and then used by the Nazis. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I was talking with some friends about this while I was working on the script, and she does get a lot of shit. Unfortunately, those belief systems were kind of just what a lot of upper class european people thought anyway yeah which is why uh when he rose to power a lot of people are just like yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah i mean from what i understand she was kind of like not a great person to begin with but also like 
She wasn't a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she wasn't cool with that, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she did believe that a white race that she called the Atlanteans were meant to inherit the Earth. Mm-hmm. But she said they weren't supposed to take over, that they would just get it by right eventually. Right. So, yeah. Still not great. Not great. <laughs> and unfortunately, um, that's the basis of a lot of our occult beliefs even to today. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. But um, Grau had intended Prana films to focus on specifically occultic and mystical viewpoints that he held about the world. Though Nosferatu would be their only release, he had plans for many other horror films, which he had written out, um, including titles such as Dreams of Hell and The Devil of the Swamp. God, somebody needs to go back in time and fund this guy. I want those movies. Those are good titles. Yeah, right? Um, the Devil of the Swamp. The, the Prana logo itself, uh, if you go look it up online, was a play on the yin-yang symbol, but instead of the dot alternating dots in black and white, it said like Prana mm-hmm. in black and white. Cool. So again, mixing different belief systems together into... he's He was a, a cultist of the early 19th century. Right. Um, Albin himself was a member of multiple cult groups, including the Brotherhood of Saturn, the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis, and a master of the Pansophical Lodge. Grau also was a worshiper of the goat deity Baphomet at one point in his life. Fuck yeah. He was all over the fucking board. That is a lot of things going on there. I mean, a few of them, like, mixed together okay, I guess. Like, Baphomet, they have an OTO stuff, don't they? I believe so. I don't know OTO too well. It's just a bunch of Crowley shit. Yeah, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so during the development of Nosferatu, uh, Grau's friend Heinrich Tranker founded the P- Grand Pansophical Lodge of the Orient, a mystical belief soup of many occult groups at the time, even more so than things like theo- theosophy were. Huh. Uh, they were kind of open, from my understanding, to any sort of mystical beliefs, whatever. Just like, we're going to come together and talk about it. They didn't have like a specific viewpoint. They kind of just were a bunch of German dudes who were into the occult, would hang out and talk about stuff. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, Grau was actually named second in charge by Tranker, and the lodge became post-World War One Germany's largest occult group, boasting as many as 100 members at its peak. Wow. Which is pretty good for being in a cult group in the nineteen hundred yeah. early nineteen hundreds. Right. Um right directly after World War One. Let's see here. Uh not long after its founding, the the lodge's founder Tranker was inducted by Alistair Crowley into the OTO. Hey uh or so the Ordo Templi Order Ordis or whatever. Um also stands for the Order of the Temple of the East or the Order of Oriental Templars. Interesting. The name cha- can change around a lot. The founder was brought in by Crowley to be OTO. This is where the trouble starts. I mean, Crowley just kind of brings trouble into almost everything he touches. Yeah. Well, you see, Crowley quickly converted the Grand Pansophical Lodge of the Orient into the OTO's German headquarters, then realigned the group into a strict adherence to Thelema, which was Crowley's own religion, of which he was the sole prophet. Yep. So he basically, this was a bunch of groovy guys hanging out, being like, we're just going to talk about weird mysticism and stuff. Then he showed up and was like, no, you believe in me now. 
<laughs> this led to a huge schism in the group. As it should have. Yeah. And it le- ended with Grau leading a group to have Tranker ousted from his own lodge before it was dissolved completely. Brutal. It's estimated that about a third of the group stuck with Tranker and uh, Crowley, and the other two thirds formed a new group. Uh, but Grau declined to become its leader, although he did do some writings for them. He does have some mystical occultish writings if you want to go look them up they're kind of hard to find yeah but not impossible not impossible um grau himself on nosferatu claimed that he wanted to adapt the story of dracula after staying with a serbian family after world war one the father of the family claimed his father had passed away and arose as a nosferatu or vampire. Mm. So that's where he said he heard the word. The town had to form a mob to take down and rebury the man's father. Cool. So this I was like this that story. was the story that he was told after World War One while staying in with a family. Yeah. In the opening scenes, you can see Hooter's boss signing a contract sent for Morlock. And if you pause it, uh, the strange-looking contract is covered in real occult symbology. Yeah. You can look up. There's an article by a man named David J. Skull, where um, if you look it up, most people say that the document is meaningless, but admit that it's got some like, stuff real on. occultic symbols on it that he, he knew what he was doing, but he meant nothing by the document itself. So one author, though kind of tried to transcribe it and he said although it's kind of written strangely um that he believes that it's a complex synthesis of kabbalistic and astrological symbols that uh orlock would have taken as favorable auguries for the purchase of his house so essentially there's a ton of kabbalistic astrological and other beliefs to make his purchase of the house fortuitous for him right cool yeah, the contract uses all these different symbols and includes invoking Saturn and the devil himself, implying that a literal deal with the devil is being signed in selling the house to Orlock. Nice. So I thought that was interesting. There's symbols on top of the symbols on top of the symbols. And it goes deeper if you want to. I didn't go all the way in because we could be here all day. Like uh, in this movie, for some reason, uh, Orlock doesn't turn into a wolf. He turns into a hyena. Interesting. Some people say that there is there's an occult reasoning behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the whole movie is kind of based on folklore and what they would have considered occult knowledge at the time, which is right. interesting. Yeah, that's cool. It's just peppered throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have the Stoker estate controversy. <laughs> so. Um, Albin. Okay, this is this is kind of debated. I read a lot, and I couldn't find a definitive answer but um it is believed by some that albin had tried to license the movie years later uh from florence balcom bram stoker's widow but she outright refused but others say that she didn't know about the movie until it released basically really which is a weird contradiction there or maybe she just said no and assumed it didn't happen and then it came out and she was like what the fuck yeah but that's probably what it was yeah, but either way, um, after the film's premiere in, um, for some reason, my script, I put 2022, but I meant 1922. Yeah. I mean, I think that was an autocorrect there, but. You know, honestly, like, though, if you think about it, time is just like a big 
Cuba Jello. So technically, it could have come out in uh, 2022. It's coming out right now, and exactly. it'll come out next week. Yep. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, in 1922, uh, Bram Stoker's estate, which was ran by Balcom, sued Prana Films and won damages. However, Prana was already on the verge of bankruptcy. The movie didn't do great, and they spent way too much money. Um, yeah, I mean, shooting on site. Yeah, it was one of the first films to shoot on site. They went to Transylvania to shoot real castles. They traveled for this. I heard they were also like trespassing in a lot of those castles and stuff like that. Really? That, that's oh, that's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. I have not taken the time to verify. I didn't see that, but who knows? Right. It's kind of hard to tell. But pretty much everything was shot on site. Like if you go watch something like Cabinet of Caligari from this time, like it's all stage props. They're all on stage. They're basically filming like a stage play. Right. So this would have been expensive just to haul the equipment around get the cast to places film like much almost closer to something that you would do now than other films at the time absolutely um so this was an expensive film and while people generally seem to really like it it uh did not do well they were already about to go on go bankrupt so when she sued and finally won a couple years later um while she won damages they didn't really make enough money for there to be much damages for her to win, <laughs> essentially. Um, some say out of that frustration, um, she pushed and won to have all copies of the film destroyed. Damn. And within, uh, I believe without in three or four years, all copies were destroyed. The last German copy, I believe, was held by a um, like archival society who tried to hold on to it. And mm. somehow they got outed as having a copy. Damn. So this was almost lost films. Like we talked about a couple others. Yeah. They're yeah. just gone forever. That's a big problem with film at this time. So wasn't the film destroyed? Well, it turns out we got lucky. The film is only watchable today as, and this is another number that I've heard different accounts of, but somewhere between one and four reels had found their way out internationally. The Stoker State also held on to a single reel. Oh. Although, from what we understand, uh, Florence herself never once saw the film, even during all these lawsuits. Interesting. You'd think you'd watch it. Yeah. From uh, multiple accounts, she never saw the movie. She just said they stole my husband's work and got the lo- to the lawyers. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so th- there was one version held on by her, the estate and a couple that made it out internationally. Um, and even with those international copies and their copy... It's kind of amazing that we still have any versions of this movie left. Yeah, film Um, back then was not like a thing that kept. No, film is very flammable. It's filled with tons of nitrates, Mm -hmm. which are very, very flammable. Um, And it rots over time. Even modern film will rot over time. All your cassette tapes and VHS tapes, maybe not in your lifetime, but they will rot away eventually. And there's literally nothing we can do to make them last permanently. Um. Not only that, but Murnau himself had directed 20 fil- 21 films, of which 12 are considered completely lost to this day. We pretty much whitewash our hands, say there's no way this will ever be recovered. They're just all, all gone. That's crazy. Uh, there's also one of his other films that only has one small fragment of the first reel of the film left. So Just because they've either burned, gotten lost, or rotted. So out of 21 films, man man-made who is considered one of the best early directors 13 of his movies cannot be watched in whole or at all so the fact that we even have this version is crazy so from my understanding when 
Universal got the rights from the Stoker estate to actually make the original Dracula. Um, in their agreement, one of the things that they wanted was the reel that they kept for Nosferatu. They said that they wanted to study it as they were studying all the earlier film versions of it went to make their own version. That's why if you go back, you watch Dracula after watching Nosferatu, there's a lot of things that aren't actually in the book, but are pulled from From Nosferatu Nosferatu. or closer to what happens in Nosferatu than they're in Dracula. And because Universal got their hands on it, it was that version was properly archived. And then from my understanding, that was then they took that version plus a couple international versions and they were able to cobble together what is now considered like the 100th anniversary. Cool. Like best way to see the film. Nice. But there's still a lot of like lost pieces to it, correct? That I'm not sure. Okay. I think that might the... be one of those other, another urban legend to it where there's like um, almost a whole nother reel that's like that I don't, lost. That I don't know. I know some of the earlier scans, which were made off those international um released reels were incomplete or had damage to them so that might be where that rumor came from Mm -hmm. because they kind of did have to eventually get the remaining reels together to remaster into what we have now damn so we believe what we have now is the complete film as it was intended to be seen cool but maybe not who knows a lot of that'd be a cool like maybe i don't know if it would work with vtm very well but like an unknown armies even plot hook like there's a rumor that there's one more reel of Nosferatu. Nosferatu is actually an occult ritual, and getting that last reel could complete it. That'd be neat. That would be cool. Somebody run that. Uh, another there's a, and there's a lot of lost films from this era. Um, I know one of the big ones was London After Midnight, starring Lon Chaney. Hmm. Um, the last known copy of the film was destroyed in the 1965 MGM vault fire. That oh. vault fire was really bad because, I mean, they, it was literally a vault full of flammable films. Yeah. That, well, if one catches and it's a vault full of flammable films, I'm going to guess that there were zero to less than zero survivors yeah, of no. the film, that is. I don't, think, I don't know if people died in that. I don't think so. I think it was just um, there are film steals from um london after midnight and there have been reconstructions but the i believe the film is still it's gone it's gone there's a lot of early horror there's a lot of early movies like them that era that are gone um i know i like watching like lost media videos and stuff occasionally but like early horror just there's a lot yeah like black and white era it's a shame Mm -hmm. it's a shame but what can you do right except for maybe time travel. That's true. I don't know if that was supposed to be a... Anyway, uh, do you have any final <laughs> thoughts on Nosferatu? <laughs> um, I mean, I think we covered most of it. I've always said that, like, while for me, sometimes it's a very difficult film to watch because it is kind of slower and it's sometimes difficult to engage in if you aren't, like, in the right mood for it. Um, I think it's a very cool movie. I think there's a lot of really cool stories behind it. We touched on some of those. Um, I don't know if I told this story, but it took me forever. Sorry if I already told you guys this story, everybody who's listening. It took me forever to actually be able to see it from start to finish because my friends and I would watch it together. Have I told you this? Um, I think so. You kept falling asleep, right? Yeah, we'd started at like 1130 midnight after we had been like 
you know, out doing stuff all day and everything. So we're already kind of tired. We'd start it and we'd all fall asleep. And we started a rumor within our friend group that no one has ever seen the end of Nosferatu. And the few that have didn't survive. It was too horrifying. And so for the longest time, we'd be like, nope, we're just going to go to sleep anyway because we don't want to die by the end of this. Fair. Yeah. So don't watch the end. Maybe that's the last reel. The last reel. It's like uh, The King in Yellow. The oh, last yeah. act. It's just lost. You can't read the last act. Second act in King in Yellow or whatever. Mm. I'm tired of being in this fucking sewer. Yeah. I think I see some light up ahead. That might be the way out. It is kind of like one of those cellar door kind of things, it looks like. Hey, I could go for some wine. Let's check it out. Yeah, let's go. Sarah, I hope you hear us come through the door. <laughs> She'll be all right. I guess. She's good at making friends. That's true. Um... I'd also like to take a second to thank Paralyze for our soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Paralyze. Yeah. Um, and if you want to keep up with us and what we have going on at the show, uh, you can check us out at Twitter at blank underscore bodies. We're on Instagram at blank bodies pod. We're on Tumblr as blank bodies pod. We're on TikTok as blank bodies podcast. We don't have a threads. No, I don't understand it. I'm old. I don't. I was told it was Twitter for normies, but you have to make a meta account. And so I kind of. I don't want a meta account. Yeah. Less the Zuck has the better. Yeah, that's true. Um, but if you'd let, you love what we're doing here or you'd like to throw us a couple bucks in support. You or don't have you, to just love it. You, you could, can also just mildly like it or just fucking hate our guts. Yeah. If, if our hate is what of our voices, what gets you through our work day and you'd like to throw us a couple dollars, <laughs> uh, you can head over to patreon.com. Uh, or patreon.com slash blank bodies uh we have a bunch of different tiers five dollars gets you into our uh patron exclusive section of our discord the discord itself is public but the patrons get their own special neat little uh vip lounge we talk in there it's fun oh yeah you get uh you also get uh cool titles in the four in the discord you can be an ancilla an elder a harpy all kinds of stuff uh the elder tier lets you vote on what we do on this show, like today's episode, our Nosferatu series in general, of uh, wrapping up right now. It will be announced the day, but it is Bruja versus Toriador. The battle is not going the way I thought it would. Yeah. But um, who knows? There's days left, so that could swing. Go vote for who you think should win. I'm not voting. I'm not going to vote. Yeah, you I'm can't... also not a patron of our show, so you ha- you don't have you haven't paid for your dem- democratic ticket. Wow, it's like it's reflecting real life. I love real life. Sometimes. Yeah, we also have uh, our blood tier. Uh, we have tiers for character sketches. Uh, we have blood. We have corn tub. There's all kinds of great stuff on there. So go check out our Patreon. Um, excuse me, that Indian food is getting to me. Dude, I love Indian, but that goat curry. So good. So good. So good. I'm more of a paneer man myself. Paneer is also delicious. I had some paneer while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to come talk to me about paneer, Indian food, or your vampire horror or tabletop related projects, just about anything cool and spooky, uh, hit me up at blankbodies at gmail.com. I'd love to have you on the show. We've talked to tabletop creators. We've talked to live players we've talked to people who work on these books and shows that we talk about all the time so if you have a project and you'd like to come talk to me hit us up we'll have a cool little conversation about it if you're a real vampire hit us up that's true. i will be here for that conversation that's true i will that's true mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so I guess at this point. Yeah, I'm hearing something creepy back down that tunnel. Yeah, let's go. I feel like we should get out of here. Yeah. All right. Bye. We love you. Yeah, bye, folks. Mwah. Have a good week. All right, let's split.